0: Did it? There we go. I did it again. Uh, Consistency is what I am, if nothing else. I failed to put my mic on in the first service. Uh, Anyway, we're closing out this series called Live Out the Love, and we've said that the way that we can express this love that God has for us once we accept it, once we start living in it, is to give our lives in servanthood. And uh, many of you that have kids, you know, you can remember that stage in your children's life where all they wanted to do was help all the time. You know, can I help? Can I? How many remember the stage they got with their kids? Yeah. And then they get to be teenagers and aliens steal their soul. <laughs> and for eight, ten years, you don't know who they are anymore. They don't help with anything. <laughs> but uh, it seems like we, we sense that it's imprinted on us. We have this desire to serve, that, that there's something fun about serving, something significant, something that gives us happiness, satisfaction. And then we kind of go in and out of this. Now, some of you, I'm just going to assume, that have been here through the series, you're like, man, I'm glad this one's wrapping up because <laughs> <laughs> serve, serve, serve. We got it, Randy. We got it. But uh, others of you are like, yeah, Serve, serve. We need more servants, you know. And so what I'm hoping is this, that you at least will understand that anytime something comes from God's word to us, it's our loving father who knows us, who made us in his own image, who wants what's best, knows what's best, trying to lead us into that place where we can experience life at its very highest. Now I'm going to turn you to a text to get us started. We're going to talk about the servant's reward today because the truth of the matter is servanthood brings present tense rewards as well as future rewards. And that's what we want to look at today. But to get us started, I want to turn you to a text. Um, I'm going to turn you to page 1123 first. It'll be Matthew 25, but then I'm going, to, I'm going to trick you like I did in the first session. And boy, did that cause havoc. But turn to page 1123, and we're going to actually deal with Matthew 25, verse 14 through 30. But before I go there, what I want to do is give you the context. Because when we read this book, it's not a book of magical verse. It has to be taken within its context. We always need to develop the, the habit of saying what verses went before, what verses come after. You know, who is this written to? What is the time frame? All these kinds of things. Anyway, when you come to Matthew 25, it is vitally connected to Matthew 24, The chapter divisions in the Bible were not originally there. It was not until 1227 that a man named Stephen Langton, 1227, we're talking 1,200 years after that the chapter divisions were put in, which I'm grateful for them, aren't you? I mean, it'd be terrible if we didn't have them, but but nevertheless, they're not inspired is what I'm trying to say. So Matthew 25 will not make the sense that it's supposed to make unless we know that it's vitally connected to Matthew 24. So, therefore, I actually want to take you to Matthew 24, and I want to start you on page, on on verse 3. And and let me show you what happened in the first service. So, Matthew 24, verse 3. As he was sitting on the, let's see, you guys are better. What happened in the first service, when I got there, there was dead silence. And I said, and they were like, no, Randy, it's the wrong page. And I was like, oh, oh, we got to we got to move a whole page. <laughs> you guys were better. You were sharp. Okay. Anyway, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, keep that in mind, this is five days before Jesus goes to the cross. He's already told his disciples they're fully aware or as aware as they're ever going to be. He's aware. He was sitting on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the what? end of the age. So Jesus' coming, or what we know now to be the second coming, and the end of the age is simultaneous. The end of the age doesn't mean the end of the world. It means the end of things as they are now. So the rest of Matthew 24, the most important prophetic portion of Scripture in all the Bible, Jesus gives multiple signs that will occur before he returns so that his people will know the signs and be prepared before he returns. Then he tells a series of parables connected to his return. And the parables all have one thing in common. I'm going to show you. Now, go back to Matthew 24, verse 48. Here's the end of one of these parables. But if that slave, we're going to call it servant, it's the Greek word doulas, if that evil slave servant should say to himself, my master is staying away, and what are the last two words? A long time. Jesus is talking about his second coming. He's now telling a series of parables and he's saying the, the master's return or coming was a long time. Look, if you would, at chapter 25, verse 5. When the bridegroom, this is another one of those parables of the second coming. When the bridegroom was delayed, what does it say? A long time. Look, if you would, in chapter 25, verse 19. It's a, here's another parable. We're going we're to dig into this one you know, in a second. And after a what? All right. Probably some of you have heard teachings that, you know, Jesus could come in any second. He could come in any minute. There's nothing that keeps him back. That is an absolute unscriptural lie. Okay, there are multiple signs that we are given in the word of God that we as believers are to be aware of and watching for because Jesus was preparing his disciples then as he is preparing us now that there's going to be a waiting period. Now we happen to be at toward the end of the waiting period but the waiting period has been almost 2,000 years. Jesus tells these parables to tell his disciples it's going to be a long time guys before I return and the age ends. Quite contrary to, I could come at any time, be ready, be ready, because I could come at any time. That is not what the Scriptures teach. Okay, that's an aside. By the way, if you want more teaching on this, go to our Bible Institute. I've done extensive teaching on this stuff. Now let me take you to Matthew 25, to the actual parable that I want to focus a lot of our attention on. So remember, he's talking about a servant or a Christ follower's behavior during this time when the Master is away, when he hasn't returned and brought his kingdom in its fullness. For it's like a man going on a journey who summoned his slaves, Greek word dualized servants, and entrusted, notice that, entrusted his property to them. To the one he gave five talents. Now, talents, you know, it's not like, you know, singing and dancing and, you know, soft shoe and all like that. It's, it's 75 pounds of either silver or, or gold, is what he's talking about. So, for example, if it was 75 pounds of gold today and he, and he gives five talents, that would be about approximately $7.5 million worth of gold. So, to the one, he gave five talents, equal to about seven and a half million dollars. To another, he gave two, that would have been equal to about three million bucks. Each according to his what? What's the word? Ability. Ability. So, he didn't give them more than they could handle. He knew exactly how much they can handle. Does God know how much you can handle? You believe that? Because it's true. All right. He gave them each according to their ability. Then he went on his journey. The one who had received the five talents uh, went off right away and put his money to work and gained five more. In the same way, the one who had gained two more, uh, but the one who had received one talent went out, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money in it. Just curious, how many of you have your money hid in a hole in the ground? <laughs> That's what we learned from today. Don't hide your money in a hole in the ground. No. 19. After a long time, the master of those slaves slash servants came and settled his accounts with them. The one who received the five talents came and brought five more, saying, You entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master answered, Well done, good and faithful. I'm going to put the word in servant. You have been faithful in what? What does it say? How many things? A few things, not a lot of things. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of what? Disproportionate reward. God is so gracious. He wants to reward us beyond what we deserve. Enter into the joy of your master. The one with the two talents also came, and he said, Sir, uh, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more. His master answered, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things, Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent came and said, Sir, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. And the master said, That's really cool. Thank you, buddy. Or not. Look at this, this particular so-called servant, how different he is than the others. Now, we're going to do a little reading between the lines, but it's safe reading between the lines. This man's estimation of his master is that his master was an unreasonable man. He made unreasonable demands. He was a hard man. He was a difficult man to please. And so the servant kind of feigned humility and he said you know since I know you're you're so hard to please you're impossible to please you you have such high standards I know I could never please you so you know I didn't even try I didn't even attempt to so what I did was I dug this hole in the ground and here you have what is yours and the master was happy and said thank you well done good and faithful." no that's not what he says We're going to assume that the other two servants had a different attitude toward the master. Evidently, they really trusted their master. They really liked their master. They really believed in their their master's business. They wanted what the master wanted. They cared about what the master cared about. They did what they knew their master wanted to do because they loved probably their master as well as their master's business, and they took initiative. They went at it. You know, they, they took immediate action, whereas this guy, he does not. Now, let's read the words that Jesus actually says to this guy. Back to verse 26. But his master answered, evil and lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I didn't sow. He's kind of taking the guy's words and using it against him. You knew that I harvest where I didn't sow and gather where I didn't scatter. Then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore... Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For the one who has will be given more, but he will have, excuse me, and he will have more than enough, but the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And gnashing of teeth, it's when you're angry and you're grinding your teeth at somebody. It's, it's not people that are, you know, in a fearful state. They're in an angry state. So, what is Jesus trying to say? Could it be that what he's trying to say is that those that are his real followers, those that have actually trusted in him, those that actually belong to him, will be, like himself, servants. And they will be industrious servants. They will be servants that are seizing opportunity when it's available to serve. And when someone is not doing that, is the parable teaching that that person, in fact, is not really a Christian, not really a Christ follower, not really someone that trusts in Jesus and follows him and wants to be like him? Because we know from the rest of the messages in this series that Jesus himself is the greatest servant in the universe. He's created a universe. He serves everyone and everything that he created in the universe. It's a sobering, Parable, but it's a cheerful parable to those that are serving God because it says that he's keeping account your life matters. Your actions matter. A lot of times in this life, I've said, our servanthood goes unappreciated. It goes unrecognized. It goes unrewarded. It's not given nearly the credit that God would have to have. But this parable promises that someday, when you and I have long ago forgotten the things that we've done, Jesus remembers them, and he himself, with his own mouth, will give us the praise, the reward, the appreciation. It matters. It's a parable, frankly. It's a parable about judgment. You know that. But judgment is a good thing because judgment says that my behavior really matters. Your behavior matters. This life matters. My faithfulness matters. My servants' service matters. Without any judgment, these things don't really matter. And so this should encourage us and not be something that kind of sobers us in a dark way. So I want to start by just Focusing on appreciating the present rewards of servanthood, because what I know by experience after a number of years now and from Scripture is that the, the rewards that we receive when we serve right now in this life are enormous. They're, they're enormous rewards. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10. He said, "I am come, I've come in order that you may have life and life in all its what? Fullness. Now, Jesus did not come to lower the quality of our our life, to take the joy, the fun out of our life. He says to us, if we will trust him and follow him, learn his ways, learn his will, do his will, then we will, in fact, discover that the, the quality of our life is elevated and we will have life in its maximum fullness. He didn't come to take life away. Jesus comes showing us the truth about God, the truth about ourselves, the truth about life, so that we can live in accord with our design. We have, we have a nature. We didn't choose that nature. You and I have to breathe air. We have to get sleep, six to eight hours of sleep. We have to eat food. We have to drink water at least you know, once every three days. These are laws of our nature. There are mental, emotional, conscience laws, relational laws, all kinds of laws. They're there because we have a design. We're made in the image, the Scripture says in Genesis 1, we're made in the image of God himself. And so, therefore, certain things will bring the highest satisfaction and quality of life to us, the highest joy, if you want to use that term, the highest happiness. I don't really care what term you use. And other things, no matter what, they just won't because we're designed a certain way. The book of Philippians, we've looked at this passage through this series. The Apostle Paul writing to Christ followers living in Philippi. He says, though he, meaning Jesus, was by nature God. Jesus is, was, always will be God. Though he was by nature God, he did not consider equality with God as a prize to be what? Displayed, If Jesus would have come to this planet instead of a babe in the manger and lived like a human man, a normal human man, if he would have just been blazing field of energy and light, he couldn't have helped us in the maximum way that we need help. It goes on to explain this. But he emptied himself by taking the nature of a what? You see, the the highest development, the highest development of human character is to be a servant. Now, our society doesn't see it that way, but Jesus is a servant. Was, is, always, will be. God is a servant, and we are made in his image. Look at this next passage, Ephesians 4.13, writing to Christ's followers in Ephesus. It says, our goal, the thing that we should be focused on, one of the major purposes of this life is our character transformation and development. Our goal is to become like a full-grown or fully mature person, man, And a fully mature person looks like what? To look just like, what does it say? You see, every every breathing moment that you have in this life, you have purpose. I don't care what situation or circumstance you're in or I'm in. I have a purpose. I can grow in any situation, in any circumstance, if I choose to become more or less like Christ. And so my purpose in life is to become just like Christ and to have what? What does it say? All his what? All his perfection. So, if God's image is that of a servant and I am supposed to be pursuing as a goal of my life to become like God, to become like Christ, therefore I'm going to be found becoming what? A servant. A servant. Folks, the early followers of Jesus in the first century could, could never have even thought of there being a disconnect between being a Christian, a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus, and a servant they they would not have had a sufficient image because The image they had of Jesus was a relentless servant, a relentless agent of reconciliation. All of his miracles, all of his serving that he did, it was to show people the truth about God, that God's loving, that God's kind, that God's caring. He respects people. He loves people. He wants people. He's ready to forgive people. He's ready to rebuild people. And all of Jesus' kindness miracles were just meant to be agents of reconciliation, trying to bring people back to God, trying to bring people to see that they need to return to God and trust to be fully human and fully alive. And so servanthood would have been embranded into the minds of the early Christ followers. Jesus writing the very last night that he was with his disciples in the Gospel of John. He's just hours away from the cross. He tells his disciples, he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. The need of connectivity. Those who stay, what is the word? United with me and I with them are the ones who bear much fruit. Let me pause for a minute. What image would this have brought to these men's minds? For three and a half years, they spent every single day with Jesus. They they ate with him. They slept with him. They traveled with him. They were a part of his relentless life of servanthood, endlessly going from village to village, synagogue to synagogue, serving, sometimes spending entire days in serving other people. They were a part of that. So when Jesus tells them on the last night that he's with them, You've got to continue on just like we've been doing these past three and a half years. You've got to stay united to me. I'm the vine. You're the branch. If you disconnect from me, you're not going to be productive. You won't become who you were meant to become. You won't do. You have the power to do what you were meant to do. They knew it meant an ongoing union of servanthood because that's the only thing they observed in Jesus. He was a relentless servant, constantly trying to reach people, reach out to people. We as Christians, we shouldn't call ourselves Christian unless we are eager, always looking to reach out to people and seek to to build a bridge, a relational bridge between people and God. Anyway, he says, you're the ones who will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can't do a thing. I have said this to you so that My joy, Jesus knew he was going to go to the cross in just hours, and he still said he had joy. That my joy may be in you, not apart from you, but in you, and your joy may be what? Every human wants complete joy. Truth of the matter is, we we pursue complete joy until we take our last breath. The thing is, is we're experimenters, and we don't really understand sometimes what brings the greatest joy. We, we fill ourselves up on, on what I would call spiritual junk food, and it might seem to satisfy for a time, but then it fails, and then we have to go pursue something else. Jim Carrey is such an interesting guy. He is not a Christian, not a Christ follower, but I've used some of his quotes in other times, and I'll, I want to share a few with you now. Carrey says, I hope everybody could get rich and what? Famous. And will have how much? Everything they ever dreamed of. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like to be rich and famous and have everything you ever dreamed of? So that they will know that's not what? You see, he can say that because he's rich and he's famous and he has enough money to have everything he ever dreamed of. And he's telling us, he's saying, it's not it. It's not it. The elusive it, the elusive joy that we are always looking for as human beings because we are made in the image of God, this stuff, this is spiritual junk food. It won't bring it. Bigger, better, newer, nicer. Popularity, power, prestige, possessions. You think that if you get that new living room set, you're going to be so happy. You think if you get that new house, you're going to be, if you get that new career uh, you know, position, that's going to be the end of your life. Man, if I just get that man, that woman, if I just get that somebody, I'm going to be happy, fulfilled, have joy forever. No, you're not. No, you're not because you are a complex, beautiful being made in the image of God. And frankly, it takes a heck of a lot to satisfy your soul and my soul because we're made in the image of God. You can't be fully human and alive unless you're serving. Serving brings that joy that other things we pursue, other junk food things we pursue can't really bring. Carry has come to experience this. He says, I realize now more than ever that the most valuable commodity in life is the feeling. Notice he's talking about something inside, not something outside you can buy. The feeling you get when you what? Give. Give. Compassion is the currency that leads to true wealth. This guy is, is very thoughtful, but he's still very far from Christ, unfortunately. Might be worth praying for the guy. I don't know. But his conclusion is correct. He's saying there's something about we human beings that what we think we want that's going to satisfy us, it doesn't satisfy us. And the thing we least think we would want to do, to give, to serve, because compassion is involvement. It is caring. It is giving. It is serving. That, that actually lights our fire. That ignites something. That brings joy. Jesus said to his disciples, if you want joy that I have, the joy that's full, the fullest joy that a human can have, he's saying, serve, become like himself now here's the thing i know and many of you in here know it too the truth is when we become servants servants within our family servants in our place of business servants among our friends service within the confines of the church when we serve We feel a level of enthusiasm and energy that we can't quite explain. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It doesn't dissipate. We feel a fulfillment. We feel a satisfaction that we can't quite articulate sometimes. We know who we are. We know why we're here. It brings us fully alive. We know that our lives have meaning, and human beings need to know that our lives have meaning. Human beings need to know that they're aligned with their purpose. All these things happen when you and I, in union with Christ, start. To become actual servants, but it doesn't do any good just to hear messages about it. It really doesn't. So, are you serving? Are you a servant? That, that's the question we all have to ask. Am I a servant at home? My relationships at home. My servant at work. My servant in my exterior relationships, maybe in other places? Am I serving in church? God knows churches function and express the life of Christ as God's people serve. Are you serving? Because until we actually serve, we won't actually experience the joy, the peace, the satisfaction, the enthusiasm, the energy, the certainty, the confidence, and and a multitude of other things I could express that come from serving. The Apostle Paul says this, followers of Jesus in Galatians, He says, let us not become tired of doing good or of serving. Don't become tired of it just because you're not appreciated, just because you're not understood, just because you're not recognized. At the right time, we will gather a crop if we what? If we don't give up. The parable of the talents tells us that there will be a time when all of our serving will be recognized, will be appreciated, but sometimes in between, we can be tempted sometimes to get tired and to give up and maybe some of you have been right on that edge, and maybe this is the Spirit of God saying to you today, hey, it's, it's time. It's time to rekindle the fire. It's time for you to jump in. From you telling it's just time for you to just step in, just jump in. Sign up, do something, seize an opportunity. Become what you were always meant to become, not a participant, not, not just somebody, you know, looking from the outside, but a player. And then secondly, I want us to look at anticipating. We're to live in a state of anticipation of the future rewards that we will get as servants, and I'm not talking about some kind of obsessive thing where we go around keeping lists of all the good deeds we did this particular day, and you know keeping you know journals full of good deeds awaiting our reward, because that kind of obsessive seeking of self, uh, you know, self development, it won't create Christ-like character. Servanthood has to happen because we love God and we love people motives count in servanthood but servanthood has a guaranteed reward the parable of the talents emphasizes that jesus in matthew 16 said for the son of man will come this is talking about the end of the age the son of man will come with his angels in the glory of his father and then he will what reward each person according to what he wanted to always do <laughs> to say that no 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 he will reward each person according to what he always meant to do. He'll reward each person according to what he almost did. We live in that world, don't we? Well, I almost did. I wanted to. I meant to. We got to find ways, folks. We got fi- to seize our schedules by the, the neck and say, I will change things. For the sake of servanthood. And then he will reward each person according to what he has. What is the big word? Done. 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 But it's a reward. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing for the faithful servant. Just like in the parable. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to reward you disproportionately in many things. Enter into the joy of your master. We have the same truth told. The Apostle Paul just reiterates it, talking to followers of Christ in the Ephesus. He says, because you know that the Lord will what? Reward. He's going to reward you. Reward each one for whatever good. Whatever good. Good that you do that you don't even think about anymore. Good that you've long forgotten about. It's going to be rewarded. Jesus doesn't forget it. God doesn't forget it. Whether they are servant, slave, or free is the notion there. So here we have this this complete assurance of a reward that we're meant to live in anticipation of, not obsession, but anticipation, that it matters, it counts, it's gonna count. It may not be appreciated now, but it will be someday. And here's the ultimate place it will be appreciated. Paul writing to Christ followers in Corinth, he said, every one of us will have to stand without pretense before Christ our judge. The idea without pretense meaning that our, our motives will be looked at. It's not only what we do, but why we do it. Jesus talked about some people did things to be seen of others, to impress others. So our motives will be key. Every one of us will have to stand without pretense. Won't won't be anything to fake out. Our motives will be, you know, exposed before Christ our judge. And that sounds somber until you read on. And we shall be, what does it say? Rewarded. It's a good thing. It's a positive thing. It's, it's a wonderful thing when you read it in that light. We'll be rewarded for what we did when we lived in our bodies. That's from the time that we trust Christ until this life for us ends. Whether it was good or... Ah, that's a clunker. What does it mean getting rewarded for bad? I thought, Randy, all of our sins were forgiven. They are all forgiven, Scripture promises. So what does bad mean? Bad means that you and I, like the servant in the parable that dug the hole in the ground, we have the ability to completely, completely ignore all the divine abilities and capacities and opportunities that God gives to each and every one of us, according to our ability, it said in the parable, for servanthood. We can neglect those. We can ignore those. This judgment, let let me show you what it's going to revolve around. I I kind of broke this down. God's going to deal with it in our time. He's entrusted four things to us, time, talents, treasure, and trust. I'll explain them. What do we do with our time on this earth? What did we do with the opportunities that God gave us to serve? Did we seize them like scripture urges? What about our priori- priorities? Did we prioritize the kingdom of God? Did we prioritize servanthood to God, his kingdom, and others? What about the influence that our life gave? What kind of influence did we have on others? Was it a godly influence? Was it a good influence? Was it something that will carry forward? That's going to be part of this reward ceremony. He's going to look at our talents. What kind of abilities do we have? What kind of learnings have we acquired through life that might have been leveraged in ways? What kind of experience have we had that might be leveraged in ways to serve others? Some of us have had some tremendous experiences in life that if we would just find others that have gone through the same things, we, we could bring tremendous peace to their hearts. What kind of spiritual gifts did God give us? Did we find them? Did we discover them? Did we develop them? Did we deploy them a ministry? All this is going to be looked at. What did we do with our treasure? That's our money, our values, our giving. Did we seek first the kingdom of God with the way we handled our money? That will count. The scripture talks a lot about the way we use our finances as a revealer of the true condition of our hearts. What really matters to us and what does not. That's all going to be brought out at the judgment. And then sacred trust that God gives us. These are, these are roles, relationships, responsibilities. You know? So you're a husband, you're a father, you're, you know, you're a mother, you're a wife, you're a sister, you're a brother, you're an employee, you're an employer. These are the various roles we have, relationships and responsibilities. How well did we fulfill these? All of that will be rewarded or not. It just depends just depends on how much it mattered to us and how much we applied ourselves to it. And, Dick, we appreciate the fact that God wants to reward us for things that nobody else sees or cares about. L- little things that we do amongst ourselves that seem inconsequential, but he sees them, they matter, he cares, and he wants to reward us. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it says, now it is required that those who have been given a what? a trust. We've all been given a trust. That's what the parable of talents was all about. God gives to all of us differing trusts. I've just went through those. The person that's been given a trust must prove what? Well done. Good and what kind of servant? Faithful servant. It's not what we do, it's, it's have we done what we were equipped to do? Have we done what God wanted us to do? Have, have we done what we were the perfect fit to do? Have we seized the opportunities that were unique to us? It's not about what we did or how much we did. It's about were we faithful within that construct that God had for our lives. And if we are, we can look forward to this last judgment as a time of great reward, great appreciation. Some of you that are in bad, bad, bad situations right now, if you keep this truth in mind, it it can give you strength and courage. You're not appreciated now. You're not recognized now. Every day of your life is hard, and it might stay that way until your last day. But this truth says God sees your faithfulness, and he knows that it's much harder for you than it might be for other people that have it easier circumstantially. And he sees it, and he's going to reward it, and you may be rewarded way, way, way beyond others that had a much easier ride in life. But you need to be able to live in anticipation of this great, wonderful judgment and reward ceremony that God will have for us. Back in November third, 1990, Nebraska University football game it was the final game of the season they they bring the seniors out onto the field first one by one and and 75,000 fans in the stands back in 1990 November the 3rd they're screaming and cheering as each individual senior went on the field the noise level was so intense that that the vibration could be felt within the the bodies of the people it was reported well all the players ran out and then it came time for this one player his name was Kenny Walker he ran out and he noticed as he was making his way out he could feel that the vibration had stopped and he was confused as to what was going on and he got onto the field and then he realized what was happening you see Kenny Walker was deaf and the people in the stands had learned through one of the newspapers local newspaper how to do sign language for applause and so when Kenny Walker came (laughs) yeah when he came onto the field he got the greatest ovation that no one has ever heard true story. He ended up playing uh, in the NFL for a couple years. And I'm saying all that to say this, I have lived since 1973 for that greatest ovation that nobody, nobody ever hears. All I want to hear, all my life has been about, it's real simple to untangle it. I just want to hear well done, good and faithful servants, all I've ever wanted to hear. I don't know if I will hear it, I'll be honest with you, but that's what I've lived for. I want the loudest ovation that nobody can hear right now, folks, if you will embrace that same, that same goal, that you want to live the rest of your life, whatever that is, to hear well done, good and faithful servant. I promise you, your joy will be full. You will not regret and your life will become so much more of a positive influence in this very dark, difficult world we live in. You'll be a blessing in your family. You'll be a blessing at work. You'll be a blessing in church because you will ever live to be a servant everywhere you go. Let's pray. Father, only your spirit can get hold of our hearts and motivate us to the place where we actually Step into the place where we can serve. And that's my heart's desire today. I know you're calling us to a good place. May we be willing to hear it. I ask in Christ's name, amen.